Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Postcards from a Dying World. We are breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 4. This is a our third Star Trek season ending episode. And so, as of course, I'm, I'm calling on my Star Trek nerds to be here and talk about these episodes. And this is the first time we've gotten to talk about Discovery since we started doing this. And first time we've gotten to talk about a live-action Star Trek because so far we've done Lower Decks and Prodigy. And um, I'm really excited to talk about Discovery. So uh, let me introduce who's here. We have a new voice here, a new face for those of you watching on YouTube. Um, Returning uh, to... Postcards from a Dying World for, I don't know how many times you've been on now, Issa, because you did the movie episodes too, but yeah, we have that's to- why I get to take over if you have to take a break. So yeah, seniority. Issa Dio, Diao, excuse me, is- Ciao, like ciao in Italian, but with the D. Okay. Yeah. And I should know that. Is- Issa is fine. Thank you. The writer, director of- a film also with the same name as the band that made him famous in some circles. <laughs> uh, he is the lead vocalist of the hardcore genre's most sarcastic band, Good Clean Fun. And uh, But uh, he's here because mostly he is a huge nerd for all things Star Trek. That's true. And um, basically, well, your most your biggest nerd love is Marvel movies, right? You'd say. Well, I mean, you know, I've been a fan all my life of science fiction. And so the Marvel movies are sort of a new thing. But yes, I I am. I'm a big fan of those. Yes. But uh, Issa is one of the biggest nerds I know. So he had. So that's why he's here. (laughs) And Um, honestly, honestly, David, I thought I was a really big Star Trek fan. Until I met segueing to interest, segueing into your next introduction. Until I met Sarah and some of her friends. <laughs> yes, our uh, our nerd queen today, Sarah Lynn Mishner, who is uh, one of the most vocal and awesome Star Trek fans on the internet. And I discovered her through Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, who where she's a regular guest. And um, always love Sarah's opinions. And so I call on Sarah to call bullshit on um, fandom all the time. Sarah, welcome to the podcast again. Very excited to be here. And, you know, you always bring it. And I'm very excited to get your take on this season. I've seen a little bit of your opinion. Yeah. I can't possibly leave it at home. I'm a spitfire. It's just, it comes with the, I don't know, it comes with red hair. I don't know. It just shows up. Right. And, you know, um, you also uh, are very good at keeping us um, posted on what dumb shit people are saying on the Internet about Star <laughs> Trek. Because you do a very good job of calling that shit out. So uh, I, I trust you to do that. Now, our newest voice um, introduced and I'm introducing uh, Tony to the folks here on the podcast as well as the folks at home. 
Tony Peak is the author of Inherit the Stars and a soon-to-be-released complete trilogy in one box, uh, the Eden Trilogy, right? And uh, so Tony's an author, and um, he is a vocal Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan. He comments on, um, on most things weekly, and he's here today because he's threatened to quit Discovery um, after this season. And so I said, you know what? You got to come on and make your case and then um, and, and be a part of this discussion because um, I, I just can't believe you're going to threaten. You made this threat. So here, here we go. <laughs> you're going to be a part of this discussion. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> nice to meet you, everyone. I guess I'm about to get murdered. So, you know, <laughs> it's OK. Don't worry. We'll be gentle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I, I am interested. I, it can't always all be positive. And I'm, I actually don't know what Issa's thoughts are on this season because he's, he's the quiet one um, in, <laughs> uh, like, uh, in between. I have the whole PowerPoint presentation ready. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And um, just uh, really quickly, since you've got a new thing coming out, can you tell the folks about Eden, the Eden Trilogy, uh, Tony? Because that is coming out soon, correct? Well, it's already out. The box is like a more or less like a re-release of the trilogy that came out last year. It's a science fiction post-apocalyptic trilogy. It's um takes place on another planet. I didn't want to set it on Earth. I wanted something different. And in a nutshell, it's about a planet where terraforming has went wrong. It's ran amok, and the people used uh, nanotechnology, particularly nanite swarms, to help reform the landscape. Uh, you know, bolster the wildlife and ecology, and it just went mad, and you have, like, a large ecological disaster, which is over on the planet, and these toxic nanite-infested jungles, and the characters have to try to find a way to not only survive that, but find a way to, not a cure, but some way to deal with that so the, you know, the people back home can survive, too. So. Well, that sounds interesting, and it'll definitely be on my list. So um, now, Tony, um, we've gone through this with Issa and Sarah a bit before, but what's your Star Trek origin story? Like, how did you get into Star Trek? How long have you been watching Star Trek? Let, let the folks at home know, uh, your, you know where you're coming from. I guess it's sort of back when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, and this is back in the, you know, the age of the VHS rental store, and... Uh, my introduction to Trek wasn't the TV show, it was actually the, the films like Wrath of Khan, you know, Search for Spock and things like that. And it wasn't until a few years later, like in my teenage years and whatnot, that I actually watched the original series, Next Generation and all that. But I've, all, I've loved Star Trek for a very long time and Roddenberry's ideas of, you know, a progressive future, a positive future. I've always admired it for that. And Star Trek is slightly more cerebral than something like you know star wars it, it, it it's usually at its best it's more about problem solving than you know just killing the villain and you know everything's happy after that you know so it's it's more complex science fiction in comparison to something like that all right well i understand already why tony doesn't like discovery and is threatened to quit it <laughs> <laughs> I understand already no. why Tony thinks he doesn't like Discovery. <laughs> hey, we're going to get there. Um, no, I want everyone's general feeling, starting with Issa on, because I think 
you know, Discovery got a hard reboot after season two. And personally, season two was my favorite of the four seasons, partially because I'm absolutely in love with Anson Mount's Captain Pike, which is one of the reasons why I'm super stoked for Strange New Worlds to be coming in May. And the combination of Captain Pike and Obi-Wan Kenobi, like having new series in one month is like a complete nerdgasm for me. And I, I, I cannot state enough how excited I am about that. But when Discovery kind of rebooted in, in season three, I just kind of want to get everyone's thoughts. And I'll come back and give mine at the end on, on what you felt about this um, 32nd century reboot, uh, starting with Issa. Like, what did you, how did you feel about that transition into season three? I, I agree with you. I thought two was kind of season two was kind of the high point of the show. And I didn't know where they were going to go in season three. And I, I didn't really like where they went. Um, you know, it wouldn't have been my first choice. I've spent a lot of time re- while this season was, while I was watching the season, trying to figure out, trying to put my finger on what I don't like about the show. And it's really hard because a lot of it's, it's really good. You know, like I, if you, if you were to summarize the plot for me, I'd be like, okay, that sounds really good. If you were to give me a breakdown of each character, I'd go, oh, that's a really cool character. You know, there's nothing obvious that I don't like. And so I, I tried to like compare it to some other series and, and, and figure out what it is I don't like about it. And it sort of leads into your question. It did sort of get rebooted. There are too many characters and I just can't keep up with it. Like it's too, like I was going through, I don't, I don't want to over talk the initial question here. We can go into this more, but I just, I don't know everyone's name on the show and I've watched every episode, you know, like I, it's, the the original series had their seven people, TNG had their seven people, and this show has like 20 people. It's just really <laughs> hard for me. I think that's what I don't like about it. And and when I'm watching it, I'm sort of bored until there's like an episode where stuff kind of comes together. And that so that's my take. So I think part of that is if they hadn't rebooted it and if they'd kept some of the original characters, I probably feel like I would have known the show better and it would be easier to relate to so it is sort of hard to think of it as like it's a new show again if that makes sense all right well we'll deal with some of those issues coming up later but uh sarah how did you feel about the 32nd century uh reboot i don't know why we're calling it a reboot um well i mean i guess you know because they were you know they went so far into the into the future that it's like okay we finally get this wet dream of being able to have future 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 tech which really just looks to me like what they were already doing in discovery season one and two um it doesn't look 900 years you know certain technologies obviously have um but you know and i also like i feel like you know i just need to say that the fact that Discovery has all these characters is a feature, not a bug, especially, you know, growing up I on agree. TNG, there were like new, there was a new, a new character, at least one new character every episode. And that was the burner, you know, that was the, either the person that died or the new alien of the week or whatever, or a, a character like that they had like in the lower decks episode where the whole point was to get attached to them and feel incredibly sad at the end of the episode. And so there are just as many characters. Um, there's probably more characters in TNG overall. It's well, just that nobody you know, has more after... characters. Nobody has more characters than DS9. 
DS9 had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they and also had 24 the, episodes a season. To, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. and they also had so many, I mean, that, you know, that, that era of syndicated TV is never coming back. Um, and the, the only way to bring it back would be to have a low budget um, attempt at Star Trek, which modern audiences are way too jaded. We know what bad special effects look like. We know what bad makeup and, and, you know, aliens that, I mean, I, I watched certain episodes of Voyager and I'm like, oh my God, they literally went to Michael's and they grabbed like feathers from a peacock and they glued them on the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. But you know, it's because they were doing the best they can with the budget that they had. So yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's cool that we actually get to see some of these people again and again, even if we only see them once every four episodes rather than never seeing them again and only having them one, you know, in one episode. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind that either. Uh, Tony, how did you feel about going to the, the 32nd century? <clears throat> I, I wasn't crazy about it. And the main reason is I feel like Trek is like a lot of other franchises such as star Wars and whatnot. They seem to be afraid to move into the future. And it, because if you do that, you don't have all of the, uh, the typical idioms, you know, if you go too far in the future of Trek where you don't have the board, you might not have the Klingon Empire. You and Picard is playing with that a little bit, but I feel like they just went to the 32nd century so they wouldn't um, interfere with any of the canons, so to speak. But, but that's not a major complaint. That's I could live with that. The problem and, I have, oh, Tony, sorry to interrupt, but the other side of what you're saying is. They also didn't want to mess with the existing canon, right? Like they, exactly, yeah. yeah, they didn't want yeah. the spore drive and all that stuff. Yeah. Because they just more or less retconned themselves at the end of season two. It's like, well, we never existed yet to find, sign a non-disclosure agreement or one of the equivalent thereof. So we never existed. Spock never had a sister. It was like, okay, I can live with that. But then you fling them almost a millennium into the future. And it just felt like they were disconnected from what we how we related them to begin with. Now, on one hand, it allows discovery to stand on its own, and that's a good thing, without having to depend on the old canon. But at the same time, I just, I don't know, I just wasn't crazy about it. I, and I agree with, with Sarah, the technology really wasn't that much improved. They probably should have went in reverse and had it been like a dystopia, like, you know, I... where when discovery arrives, it's the most advanced piece of machinery. And they literally have to build a federation up from the, you know, from nothing. But I will say that I think that, you know, the task of actually trying to imagine a future that's beyond Star Trek is really hard because yeah. you have to have it's kind of similar to, you know, Gen Z not being not understanding what the settings button means with little gears and not understanding why there's a little disc icon for saving stuff. And you're just like, you know, as a Gen X person, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, and you feel incredibly old. And the thing is about Star Trek is that we already have so much tech that was in TNG that is still way beyond anything that we have now. Half of what was in TOS is stuff that we are still just as, as far away from having like transporters, but the other half, we've gone way beyond like view screens personal electronics, computers, stuff like that has gone way beyond what is depicted in TOS. And so you, you really, you know, empathize with them because whatever they do, they 
have to have enough frame of reference that we actually understand what they're doing. And the fact that, you know, when they do the computer that sort of shows up in the air and it's like a hologram or something that they're interacting with, you know, you appreciate the fact that that must have been really difficult because it has to look like if they're doing something, they're touching something. In reality, those interfaces would be totally beyond our comprehension. And in reality, a lot of probably what the tech that would that would exist in that time would be beyond our comprehension. But it's still it's still cool, like you know, being able to play with stuff like programmable matter and things like that. You know, and that's that's kind of the fun of Star Trek. Like, you know, what I loved about transparent aluminum, which is a thing now, um, you know, in Star Trek Four. So, I think and the the programmer the thing about programmable matter that bothered me the most, and I, I think it's really a cool technology. It's a good idea. Is that they wouldn't call it programmable matter anymore? You know what I mean? It's like you know, like at first everything was like electronic. This you know, like let me use my electronic calculator, or you know, those words drop off eventually, and you just call it a calculator or whatever. So I thought that was that was kind of funny. But good point on the tech. It's definitely it is hard to imagine nine hundred years from now and. What always cracks me up about the old series, both TNG and actually all of them, is that they don't have, they didn't predict like telepresence, you know? So it's like, I've got to show you something in engineering, come down here, <laughs> you know? And someone has to actually like take the thermal lift down to engineering to see something. Right. Well, I will say that in the last, in the, in the very last episode, the fact that Tarka referred to book's ship as where's the presto change button made me very happy. That he actually just said, where's your presto change button was very funny. And um, maybe pushing it a little bit on the fourth wall, but I'll take it. And then, um, but my feelings on the 32, the 32nd century jump is that I loved the idea of it. I loved the concept of it. I like, I loved that they fixed the canon by having a reason to classify discovery um, I thought that was smart writing. And keep in mind, what's happening with that is, is that you had Brian Fuller creating Discovery, then basically walking away, and a whole bunch of new people taking over the show that are like, maybe I didn't want to do the show that Brian Fuller wanted to do. So they, they're they rebooting the show because they're wanting to create something of their own, and I fully understand why they wanted to do that. So having a story reason for it and going to the 32nd century, I was way down for, I thought that was really cool because as Issa and I talked a lot about at the time, I just wanted Star Trek to go forward. I was tired of prequels. I was tired of being in the past. As long as we're going forward, whether it's Picard or, you know, anywhere forward <laughs> from, from TOS, I'm cool with, um, or from, uh, what we knew in the nineties, anywhere forward from that time, I'm okay. And so I wanted 32nd century. Now, however, I didn't really like the execution of season three. I didn't hate it. I'm not like angry on the internet about it, but my problem with it is it happened way too fast. I thought instead of having the solution to the burn be the end of the season, how about the entire season be trying to find the Federation. How about taking six episodes where you cut back and forth between Book and Burnham, having their their love story happen on their own and have an actual like struggle for them to find each other that takes place over time. And that would give you a perfect example, a perfect way to introduce you to all the non-Burnham characters, 
right? So all these characters that Issa's struggling to know their names, if they had six episodes where we have a Burnham episode, episode one, we have a Discovery episode, season, or episode two, then a Burnham episode, then a Discovery episode, and it takes them a while to find each other, to me, that would have been better storytelling. That said, I didn't mind what they gave us. I just think it could have been better. That's all. I hated the burn story. Like I thought the burn itself was fine. The fact that some kid is dreaming and destroyed the whole Federation was the most disappointing plot revealed to me of all time. Why? What was wrong with it? Oh, it was just so, it was just so silly. Like, why like, is it silly? I, like one, a kid got shipwrecked. I, I put it out of my mind until just a few minutes ago. So I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm freshly upset, but it just, it was such a not, I could think of a, a thousand stories that would be better and more interesting than that. Yeah. I loved it. I it's loved it because like, it was so vulnerable and it was so cool because it was like, you know, a, a, it was such a small story. And the, the, I think the only criticism that I've heard of discovery that I think is fair um, is that it is, you know, I completely disagree, for example, that it's not as optimistic as classic Star Trek. I think it is every bit as optimistic as classic Star Trek. More so. And I grew up on that stuff. Um, but I think that the fairest criticism that I have heard um, is that it always has to be the end of the universe, you know, much like a Marvel thing. It's one of the things I hate about Marvel. Um, I can pretty much only stomach one Marvel movie at a time. Like I, if I watch a Marvel movie that's done, I don't need to rewatch it other than Ragnarok, which was art. Anyway, so, yeah, <laughs> but like, you know, so you have this thing where you have this, this little, this child and, and the fact that it was this really uh, endearing, really personal, really small uh, beginning and, and cause and an intimate cause was really counter to that criticism of everything in discovery has to be this boom, you know, end of the world, massive thing. And it was this wonderful, small, intimate story that reminded me of classic Star Trek. See, I, I appreciate that answer. And like, I think I, you know, I wish I could see it that way because I would probably be more, I would enjoy it more. But to me, it's like one of the like literal cheesy cliches of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode where some kid is dreaming and we're all caught in his nightmare. You know, like that's, I feel like that plot has been done so many times and now no more examples, you know, all the other examples escape me, but I, it just feels like super cliche plot number 37. You know. I don't know. It makes me think of the um, the machines from the old uh, movie Forbidden Planet. Um, you know, the, the the monster of the id, and in this case, the child was able to affect you know, <laughs> I guess the entire galaxy. I'm kind of on the fence about it. The reveal was like, eh. but at the same time, the psychological aspect of that and having that be the solution to the problem instead of some big fancy sci-fi space shootout, you know, it was much more satisfying to me instead of having it be a, a villain, you know, that's what I like about season, season four too. It wasn't a, you know, some malevolence. It was just something that happened and they came across it and it was, you know, typical Trek fashion, you know, Trek fashion, you know, use problem solving, empathy, logic, reason, or knowledge to overcome that. So I, so I kind of like that, actually. Okay, Season but I guess I'm going to throw out one fan fiction idea, right? What if some Federation 
experiment or something had caused the burn and everybody knew that's what happened. And that's a reason why everyone hates the Federation and makes it that much harder to bring the Federation. See, that's what I thought was happening. And I actually, yeah. and I wanted it. And I'll tell you why I'm with Issa on this. I was fine with the ending that they had. So don't get too mad sure. at me, Sarah. But <laughs> I was fine with the ending, but I just think it could have been better if, you know, just from, I know from a Roddenberry perspective, what if the Federation made a mistake? Because we have, you know, American exceptionalism is a, is a big problem where people don't think America can make mistakes. And I've been seeing this recently with, you know, when I made the comment that if American invasions of other countries were covered like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, would how different would, would that be, right? Exactly. And so it would be, it, I agree with Issa that a more a better story for the message would have been if the Federation actually caused its own temporary demise by overextending itself. And that's what I thought it was going to be doing. I thought it was going to be a climate change message of like, you know, we fucked up the subspace lanes for almost forever because we tried to push transwarp too far or whatever. And that's what I was expecting. And now, doesn't mean and i was actually pleasantly surprised that it was something that i didn't predict partially because it was so left field but at the same time i i did have the like really that's it that's it that 200 years of the federation falling apart and earth being separated and it's like some kid had a nightmare like see that that is exactly what my reaction would have been if it had been the federation's fault because it's like we've already done this we did this in tng you know when they realized that going past a certain warp was damaging um you know that was a cool episode and i liked that and i like it when you know contrary to what a lot of people you know i, I like when when the federation is at fault either because there's an evil admiral you know or whatever because I think it's important to recognize that within any sort of utopian situation, you're going to have outsiders. You're going to have people who try to muck up the works constantly. And so I think that, you know, I, I feel like it's something that I've seen enough where if I saw that again, I would be disappointed. Right. I get that. But, you know, so I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer to, to that. Now um, I'm sorry, I'm pulling up, the season on IMDb so I can start getting into this. So let's talk about season four. We, we talked about season three now and, and we could, we can cast judgment on the bird all day, but um, you know, we're past that now we've moved on to season four. We're, we're rebuilding the Federation. And my personal feeling was that it did happen too quick. And, you know, I would like to see discovery. Obviously a lot of people feel this way. I'd like to see discovery, move away from the Marvel model and have enough. Cause to me, part of the problem is, is that we don't need to have a universe ending thing happen every time when rebuilding the Federation is enough to build a whole season on, right? Like you could do a whole season about like, I would argue you could build the whole series on that. And the exactly. final episode of season seven or nine or whatever could be the Federation having their big, we're back, you know? Yeah. And Stacey Abrams could have been there then. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if they would have wanted to wait. But anyways, um, now that being said, look, I can nitpick 
what Discovery is doing, but I'm just happy to, I should be clear that I'm just happy to have Star Trek every week and I don't need Star Trek to be perfect. Um, you know, I suffered through the first two seasons of next gen, which I still think are the worst Star Trek ever made. And, <laughs> Season two has some good episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. There are episodes of the first two seasons of TNG that are way cornier than anything in TOS, even season three of TOS. And I agree. And the oh. fact that that show got good is a miracle and it got great, you know? So, and I'll take that Star Trek, but so anyways, season four opened with the Kobayashi Maru episode. Now I know you guys have been saying, we've all been talking about how all the episodes kind of blend together and I'm not going to go through every episode by episode, but I do think that this, this first episode where, um, where basically Burnham's kind of dealing with the whole um, kind of the idea, the no win scenario and that kind of thing was, was cool fan service. But the most important thing that really kind of happened in that first episode is that um, the president of the Federation was introduced and it's no little thing that the president of the Federation is half Cardassian, half Bajoran. This was, this was, this was a, in Trek lore, that's a big deal. And I love that it wasn't like they didn't spend any time saying like, hey, did you notice she's half Bajoran, she's half Cardassian? Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah. So let's talk about like the introduction of the president, like how everybody felt about that. Now, I do want to say that um, the actress who played the president, uh, her name is Casey. Oh, let me... it's Sheila. Horizel. Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> Horizontal. They don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Now, um, I know her from Man in the High Castle because she played John Smith's wife on Man in the High Castle. And her performance in the last two seasons of that show, it her performance in the last two seasons of that show is incredible. Now, there's a lot of people that gave up on Man in the High Castle long before that. So they wouldn't even know that. But um, I didn't recognize her because she was Cardassian and Bajoran at first. But when I looked her up at one point, I was like, oh, she's pretty powerful. And I was like, oh, yeah, that lady was great in Man in the High Castle. Because um, and for those who don't know, her character in Man in the High Castle was um, married to the the um, head of the American Nazi Party. And their son comes up with a disease where they basically euthanize them for the Reich and it and it shatters their belief in 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 the in the Reich and you know she becomes this amazingly powerful character throughout that and I just want to shout out that because her performance in that was Emmy worthy but of course because it's a science fiction show you know it's not going to get any attention <laughs> and she was great in that so that was great casting great casting by the by the discovery team and uh she's a great character uh what does everybody think about that starting with isa that character yeah i liked her i thought she was great um you know it was a little uh it actually worked really well like i i really have no uh no complaints about the characters like i i really um i really liked her fine i thought it was a little the, the whole thing was a little contrived that they all ended up on the ship together and whatever, but uh, that's fine. I, I'll give you that. I don't, that's not something, uh, that's not a nit I will pick. That's fine. Um, you know, I think I like how they've kind of shown her grow to trust and respect Michael and their relationship has grown in a nice way. 
um yeah you know like lots of lots of scenes of whispering to each other you know (laughs) (laughs) um but it was yeah I, i liked it and I do want to say that I appreciate that between the president and Admiral Vance that we have these um, like Starfleet leaders who don't like Kirk always had assholes, Commodores, terrible people above him where, you know, I, I shall therefore go anyways and all that crap. But, uh, you know, like F- Admiral Vance is actually a good Admiral and a good leader. And um, in that first episode, for example, was the the first one where he, he basically is like tells Burnham like, "Hey, they don't want you to go, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go anyways. So don't prove me wrong." And you know, and he's showing great, great leadership. So I liked him too, Sarah. Um, Admiral Vance and the president. What do you? What do you? What say you? I was so happy that they had this. That they depicted what you know what it is like when two women uh, who are colleagues and you know respect each other get along and get each other and challenge each other. You never, ever, 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 ever fucking see that. Um, Not enough anyway. They just kind of started seeing stuff like that. But, you know, I definitely noticed because it's incredibly refreshing uh, to see because you just, especially growing up without it, you know, it was just, and it's the kind of thing that happens in real life all the fucking time. So seeing it on Star Trek just made me so happy. And I absolutely loved how complex her character was and how complex her relationship with Burnham was. And it was, you know, really believable that at first it would be a little bit, you know, standoffish and that she wouldn't, they wouldn't quite understand each other, but they were trying. And, um, you know, really just, I absolutely love the girl romance that they have together now at the end. It was just like, oh, it just warms my heart so much. Yeah. And, I just love that they kept it subtext that like we would all get because she's half Cardassian and half Bajoran yeah. and that they never explained that. They just let that be subtext for the fans. Yeah. W- was great. A very cool thing. Tony, what say you? Well, I liked her from the get go. She just had great stage presence and she, uh, she could compromise, but she also wouldn't back down. You know, she would, she had definitely had a backbone. And I liked her heritage because, you know, Discovery from the get-go has always been about, you know, increased diversity in Trek, which I, I love that. And she was a you know an example of that right off the bat as soon as she appeared on screen. And her, you know, I agree with, I agree with Sarah, her interactions with Michael were, you know, great. You know, it just, <laughs> what's it called? The Bechdel test? Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you, you can have women actually interact in a story without um, either the conversation being about a man or something male related or something like that. So that was refreshing to see. So I, yeah, I liked her instantly. Yeah. And, and I felt like she had good character development throughout the season because there is some, uh, a little bit of schism between her and Burnham early on. But as the, as the story progressed, I mean, you could see it, especially in the last couple episodes, they could just share a glance and you could see that, implicit trust in one another that i I really like that so yeah definitely kudos to the actress and and the character now see tony if you didn't watch next season you'd miss that so um all right so let's talk about the dma itself as as a as a threat and a mystery um it was hilarious how 
everyone thought it was V'ger all season long. And it was the most hilarious thing because I just kept, like, from the beginning, I was like, you know what? It'd be really cool if it was the people who sent Voyager back that were behind it. But that's not it. And, you know, and I'd be fine if they eventually did that as a storyline, you know. Yes. <laughs> but I just knew it wasn't V'ger. It was just hilarious to me for some reason when I'm, like, one of the few people who love Star Trek The Motion Picture, they're not going to do a storyline that sequelizes the movie that only David loves, right? And, I and, also love it. Okay, well, I good. do not love Star Trek Five. I love the motion picture. Okay, we are exactly together on that, because Star <laughs> Trek Five can go to hell, but um, motion picture I will defend that every time I watch it, I like it more. Um, I like them both, so yeah. You like Star Trek Five, Tony? Don't really like Star Trek Five. Come five on. has some really terrible stuff, and it is the, it is the worst of the old films. I agree, hundred percent. But I love the scene where Kirk says he needs his pain. People joke about that, but it's a great scene, and it has one of my favorite movie lines of all time. What does God need with a starship? So that. <laughs> There's some really awful stuff in the movie. I'll agree, but (laughs) I'm actually I'm I'm glad you like it because I haven't seen it in a long time. And one of the questions I have that I'm hoping will get answered on this podcast because maybe other people have this question too is, what was the deal with the edge of the galactic barrier stuff? Like Um, I I know okay we'll we'll get we'll get to the galactic barrier. All right, the galactic barrier because I have it on my list. Okay, but but right now we're dealing with the DMA that wasn't V'ger. Which is what got us going on this. So, um, as far as the DMA goes, um, I kind of... Obviously, we know now what the answer to the mystery is. But coming from a perspective of the first couple episodes of not knowing what it was, um, I really... One thing I really liked is that... And I think about Stamets as a character. um, He didn't have much to do in this season. But his fear at like trying to understand the DMA in the early episodes was very subtle and great. And Anthony Rapp um, deserves a lot of credit for, for showing like without like coming out and saying, I'm scared, but just like the way he was like, the way he acted like trying to understand it. Um, And I know there was like, um, and see, you you probably forgot about this because it was so long ago because I didn't remember until this moment, but they had the whole episode where he went to Navarre um, and, and you know, he and Book had their kind of moment and it was really his the most he had to do. And I really loved this, like that whole scene where they were like going to meditate and he's like, what are you do- doing? We, <laughs> we got to do math. And they're like, you know, we are, right? I loved that. That was a great episode or a great moment for Stamets. But I thought the early days of the DMA, it was a good mystery. And it was, to me, it was a better mystery than the burn for sure. But I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on the DMA as, as a mystery. I, I sort of just found the DMA to be just very generic. I didn't really have, um, I guess... You know, I honestly, I was watching most of those episodes and my main thought was just kind of on board. You know, like I liked when they were actively investigating it and learning stuff about it, but it just seemed, I don't know. It seemed, I'm, I'm, 
it's like I know I watched it not that long ago, but it's already all blurred together <laughs> in my mind, you know. But it was like not a lot happened, and we slowly learned a little bit more about it. Um, and, and it just seemed it just seemed a little clunky, like the whole so, process of learning about it and stuff. So Issa, you didn't watch week to week; you binged it here towards the end. Right? Uh, I watched a, like I my plan with all all week by week shows, which I think is archaic and they shouldn't do anymore, is I try to time them so I can watch about one or two one episode every day or two, and then be live for the finale to minimize spoilers. So that's what I did with with this. But okay, there was this I disagree. Also, I like, loved week to week. There was this like two month break or whatever also in this one. So I watched the first half and then I watched the second half after the break. So I like I like week to week myself. But yeah, I I just you know, maybe it's just maybe this is a theme for me where I just can't keep track of all the different shows or whatever. Like if I'm not if I watch it week to week, I've completely forgotten what happened the previous week by the next week. So um Sarah, your your thoughts on the DMA as a mystery? I was fine with it. It, you know, it, I didn't love it, but you know, it's a problem. So I don't know whether a love response would have been a perfect. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely very affecting for me that they went after um, books, home planet, because that is sort of the the beautiful planet that you 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 know you meet first uh, in season three. And it, you know, is genuinely like this really enchanting, magical place. Um, it's one of those planets that makes you think, oh, I wish that were real so I could go there, you know. And that is part of obviously what, you know, what, what it was about Star Trek that maybe as a child so enchanted with, you know, the idea of going to a place that's just completely alien. Um, and so it was really sad and, and very, very affecting that they, like, I cried like a baby um you know when they did that the book and you know I also sort of feel like because book and Burnham are were kind of the main characters it's it's important that you know book is the one who gets to suffer this episode not Burnham because I do also feel like there is something to you know the idea that Burnham suffered a little bit too much like she's the main character so she obviously is going to be going through the stuff that Picard went through you know Picard was tortured and and then the next week he just was fine and he went back to his default character and he never got to we never saw oh come on wait oh he's still seen four lights let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) every now and then but it's one of the criticisms that i had with tng is you felt especially you know growing up with it as a child you felt like between a week's episode you had no idea how much time passed and there was the sense that a lot of time a lot more time than a week passed because the characters rarely talked about whatever happened the last episode. But it's, you know, it's, it was it's episodic, sort of a, a, there was a lot I of, I mean, that's what you get with episodic television. There was a lot of Picard dealing with the aftermath of the Borg stuff and of the, you know, well, there I, was the, the episode with his brother, but that's about it. They had like one episode where like, you know, he like in the inner light that would have completely changed him. That would have utterly, you know, even though it was a very Picard experience, he would not have been the same person. And all they did was have one or two episodes where they show him still playing the flute, you know, and that's it. And you're just like, yeah, and it's true because like all, especially on the new series where there's all this talk about why are you still alone? 
I, I've wanted him to say like, Hey, yo, I lived a whole nother life where I got married and had kids. So, you know, for it, it would be one thing if he was like, I've done that. You just don't remember would be one thing because like, yeah. And it would be another thing too, if it wasn't like one of the best episodes of TNG, but because it's one of the best episodes of TNG, people want it to have more resonance. It's like, yeah. People always want Kirk to remember Edith Keeler because City on the Edge of Forever is is such a touchstone episode. So, you know, we remember that one always. So we want them to right. remember too. I, I agree with Fair that. Enough. And by the way, the next thing on my notes was Books Planet and and what happened with it. And um but Tony, before before we get to that, like did you have any thoughts on the DMA or any 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 Big thoughts on, like, were you a fan, not a fan of that storyline? I liked the DMA initially, and I liked the fact that it was uh, more or less a harvesting device by the 10C, which is, you know, shows just how advanced they are and how powerful they are to even power something like that. One thing I did not like about it, there's a lot of urgency to fix that problem in the show, but then there's but there's not. It, it felt the urgency felt forced, and the urgency really comes from book for obvious reasons, Tarka for obvious reasons, and Burnham. It, it just I don't know. It didn't. I felt like if you had something that dangerous, why didn't you already have some evacuations taking place and you know things like that? It could have been background stuff going on to show reactions to that because the only real reactions you get is. The people on the bridge. I never got the sense of how does this new federation, how does this civilization react to that? I mean, geez, it just wiped out an entire planet. But you only get a small slice. And I understand it's you know it's within the limits of the, sh of the show, but I would have liked to see more of that. Well, and it should be clear. I think this kind of got swept under the rug. But for Book's planet, they weren't a federation planet. So hmm. the idea that Book goes to that thing goes to that you know, gathering that they had and is like trying to get people to care about his planet. I mean, we're seeing that in the real world right now where yes. everyone cares about Ukraine, but Russia beat the shit out of Syria for five freaking years and nobody's talking about Syria, right? And like, so in a lot of ways, Book is is basically saying like, hey, uh, give a shit about my planet. And I actually <laughs> yeah. wish they had dwelled on that a little bit more um, and... I, I felt like we had a whole episode on that where Book was pleading his case to the Federation uh, yeah. delegate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it we was fi it was fine. It was there, and I liked it. So right. I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that I don't know how many people got that point. Is what I'm saying. But that's not. I guess that's well, not their fault. Know where it was going. You know, originally they they had no idea how to track its movements, and I think during those episodes and that that you know where they were really focusing on the fear of the unknown and yeah. the fact that this thing could show up anywhere anytime and so there was no point trying to evacuate anybody because they had absolutely no idea where this thing would pop up and yeah. i think tony one of the things that you said sort of reminds me of my main complaint about the pacing of the show it's like if someone said hey guys we're on this podcast and in 15 minutes everything's going to blow up and then I were to take you aside and say, 
Tony, I want to have this long, slow conversation with absolutely no urgency about something completely unrelated to anything that's happening. And there are a lot of scenes like that. So it's like, we've only got 15 hours until the earth explodes. So how do you feel about this thing that happened? I just want to take a minute and tell you that I love you. You know, like there's a lot of like <laughs> weird, deep conversations that are just in the middle of these tense, time-constricted places. So... One thing, my wife is not a Star Trek fan, and whenever I'm watching Star Trek on Thursday mornings before I leave for work and my wife's getting ready for work, she makes little snide comments, like, all the time. <laughs> and usually I'm just like, shut up, stop, because she'll, like, say things like, oh, you know, what's wrong with her forehead or whatever. But the other day I was watching Picard, and there was a scene where my wife from the kitchen yelled, 10 seconds, MacGruber, and... I was so mad because she was right. And I started laughing because it was a 10 seconds MacGruber moment. I felt um, like Discovery had so many of those. <laughs> I was like, no, she's right. She was totally right. And I hated that. Um, but anyways, but you're right. I see what you're saying, Issa. There, there are a lot of moments that have strange. Vance, like, pulling out his whiskey with Tilly. And the thing is, I think, we're going to forgive that scene because uh, me, I'm going to forgive that scene because I like Vance and I like Tilly and I like seeing them have a moment together. So I'm going to, I'm going to give that scene a little bit of a pass. Plus, I don't, I don't understand why it needs a pass. Like there, were, there was, from... they thought they were going to die. There was nothing they could do. So of course they're going to sit and drink whiskey together. Like what else would you do at the end of the world? And the other thing is like, you have to understand that if, if the world were ending in 10 minutes, we would all say, okay, it was nice knowing you goodbye and then go spend time with our family. And the thing is that, and this is a, a feature, not a bug to me again, because I feel like one of the things that I love about Discovery is the fact that they are honest about the fact that if you are on board a ship in space and you've been serving with these people for years and you have gone through shit with these people, these people are your family. And with TNG, you know, I sometimes refer to TNG as like the HR department in space because mm -hmm. all of the characters were just sort of like, you know, so close to expressing emotion with each other. Or there would be an episode where they literally had to go to a planet where the planet intoxicated them so that they could get feelings out about each other. And like, you know, so so to me, it addressed, addressed a problem that they've long held in Star Trek. You know, even like the way that, that that uh that they've handled sex in star trek for instance has been really strange where like nobody has any adult romances on other than like miles and keiko you know on like uh tng and then you know they have like characters who oh come on Worf and Troy for each other randomly for, for a while years. <laughs> but like they're not they're not you know they have to go to a pleasure planet or something for them to express that side of themselves which is why i call it hr department in space Whereas Discovery, like the messiness of living with your family in space is shown. And if you are spending the last few minutes of, you know, or you're in crisis with the situation with your family, of course, you're going to joke around with them. Of course, if you have an extra minute in there, you're going to talk about your feelings. So but to you me, shouldn't it's, have it's that it's extra minute. That's the whole point. Like we have 10 minutes to save the universe, you know, like. But sometimes you're waiting that. for the the part that you need in order to do sure. the plan that you have to 3D print itself or, or something. And you have that moment. Like it's, it's believable I, to me. I, I hear you, but I, I just, there's something about the way the pacing is done where like, you know, you're supposed to, 
I mean, whatever, like the, <laughs> the what you know, the established wisdom of, of screenwriting or whatever is you're supposed to kind of go between periods of like, you know, tenseness and then relaxation. And they're supposed to get shorter and shorter as you get to the climax, right? That's like the accepted school definition or whatever. And somehow they don't follow that properly. And I, I don't know how to put my finger on it exactly, but but there were a lot of moments, I mean, multiple moments per episode where I felt like, shouldn't these people be getting going? You know, like get down to the planet, find the, the chemicals or whatever, like hurry up, you know, like a lot of, I felt myself thinking that. To, to, I, to Sarah's point, I will say that I like that Discovery is the only Star Trek episode that has had multiple scenes where someone's like not wanted to go into the cafeteria because somebody was there, you know, that they right. didn't want to see. And 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 like that would probably happen a lot of times on a starship, you know, like. And that, and that is nice, but I will use the feature bug thing on Picard having like that. I I'm the captain. I have to maintain my you know, uh, relationship. I have to maintain my distance from the crew. Like which, one of the poker games and stuff, you know. That which made of. the poker game in the last episode so much more meaningful, right? Exactly. And yeah. yeah, and I do think they solved a lot of that in the movies because they had a lot more togetherness in, in, in the movies as a crew. And, um, okay, so uh, one episode that we may have forgotten about, Burnham's mother returning in the um, Romulan uh, murder nuns getting an episode um and uh i i like the romulan murder nuns i think they should have been kind of more of a star trek thing but i thought it was you know they obviously had burnham's mom be involved with that sect just so they could it was like discovery was like we want to have romulan murder nuns too <laughs> and um and uh but i did like that episode because um the one thing I liked about that episode is, is that she, there's a lot of times on discovery where they haven't had consequences for people. Um, and I, you know, for, you know, book got off easy, obviously oh. at the end of the season, but I did like that Burnham was basically telling her mom, <laughs> like, you know, I know you care about this person, but they killed a Starfleet officer and I'm going to deal with this. And I, I'm going to take care of this. And um, so I did like that episode. I don't necessarily need a comment from everybody if nobody has strong feelings on that episode. But um, I just wanted to mention that episode is one that, while not being perfect and having like a little bit of kind of like logic flaws, I still liked. Um, I had no problem with the episode. I do like an excuse to have the murder nuns in the show. Like, I think they're a great thing in the universe. I wish it wasn't Michael's mom. It just seems to, uh, you know, I, I've been flung into the future and luckily my mom has also been flung into the future too. And it, it just seems a little whatever, but it's fine. I, I will not actually complain about that, even though I just did. <laughs> what it does is highlight the problems I have with the rest of the season, which is a total lack of consequences for other characters. The murder nun is held responsible for her actions, rightfully so, and Burnham's on board with that. But later on in the season with certain characters, Budge's book and Endoye, they literally get a slap on the wrist if even that. And I just, <laughs> that really nothing, bothered me a great deal. Nothing could be more Star Trek than that, though. I mean, that happened to Kirk all the time in the original movies, all the fucking time. Kirk should absolutely have not been like, oh, yeah, you know, you you stole a, star, a starship, but you, then you saved the world. So it's 
fine. But they took like, the admiralty that he never wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which they knew about. But like also, yeah. I mean, you have to understand that like, you know, the 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 thing about the um the consequences is that, you know, this is a humanist environment. And that means that we are talking about a different way of viewing crime and punishment. And all punishments are going to be punishments. They're going to be, hey, community service. They're, I mean, you know, we, we talk about how the great thing about the Federation and about the Star Trek universe is that they're wonderful progressive values. And one of the progressive values is prison abolishment is, you know, hey, we need to start treating these people like, you know, they need help. And that is true of all of these characters. So I don't think that book, you know, I think it, it was frankly a perfect um, uh, punishment for him that he lost his freedom because he's such a free person. Like he loves having his ship and he loves being able to go where he wants. And so it was sort of like the perfect way to punish this specific character. But I haven't found in general that there has been any characters that have gotten off easy unless you suddenly want to want the Federation to be a penal colony. No, but Andoy is a general and she, you know, disobeyed orders and did what she did. I just can't believe that she would remain part of that power structure afterwards. At the very least, she would be demoted or someone else would fill that position. No, I, I don't want to see a good job though because she went on the suicide she went on the suicide yeah. mission, so you have but, to. But and I personally think her character should have should have sacrificed yes. herself and died. Yeah. I thought yeah. so too. And and yeah. I think it would have been a cooler arc for her. I know people want the actress back because she they liked her, but I think it would have been a cool thing for her character to give up her life for that. It now when I say the lack of consequences for book, I actually I agree with you, Sarah. I think is punishment from the Federation is, is fine. What I'm talking about is I, I saw somebody posted on Twitter and I don't remember who, but they were like, they were saying I was watching discovery and, and uh, they said, my wife looked at me and said, if I was captain of a starship and you did to me, what book did <laughs> yeah. to Burnham, you're never coming home. That's you're never right. fucking coming I, home. I, I don't, I want to defend, I want to defend book here because he his planet was destroyed and he thought he was doing what he had to do to save other people from doing that and he's you know you don't they they even have a line someone i forget who said it it might have been michael something about how punishment is about intent or whatever you know and he he was doing what he thought was the right thing and you can't look at that and say he was wrong you know he yeah, he was wrong but it, he had every reason to believe he was not she was right. captain and he, and he was hiding on her way. ship. He sure. was, he was, he would, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I think they, you know, again, his whole planet had just been destroyed by these people, right? Like, I think yeah. it's a different, I mean, you know, I, I mean. It, it's it not hard to imagine that the Federation yeah. would be compassionate for exactly. one of the only survivors of this planet exactly. who lost his entire world. Like, literally, like. It's really yeah. not hard to imagine that they would be compassionate about that. And certainly Michael absolutely knows him and loves him and understands exactly what he's going through. So yeah, I mean, even, I really our, don't see even here. our justice system today recognizes the difference between you like randomly murdering someone and like murdering someone who's like killed your child or something, right? It's not, you're not 
gonna get the same sentence. It's not the same situation, so. Yeah, and he probably got a lot of credit for the fact that he recognized what was going on, you know, at the 11th hour and, and had regret and, and tried to stop Tarka. Really quickly, can I just say that my favorite thing in the, this whole season, and I, I thought it was so good, was Detmer's character development the whole time. And like the scene where the general, where she volunteers to file the suicide mission and then the general does, that was so good. I really was so impressed yeah. with it. Detmer's a good character. And yeah. the the fact that they had her go from being terrified in season three to the whole thing with Adira. Yeah, that was really know, cool. Looking up to her was, was, was good. That was good storytelling from seeds yeah. planted and now I, I will say the episode that i thought was the weakest was the galileo 7 remake with the cadets um uh was to me one of the weaker episodes it wasn't bad like i was entertained enough but it's it was like pretty, it was pretty bad <laughs> yeah uh, there's rumors that one that um that they're going to be doing a starfleet academy show with vance and tilly and those characters and I'm not sure I'm sold on that, but, um, you know, I like Tilly as a character. I like Vance as a character. None of the cadets really, um, you know, won me over. But at the same time, it's Star Trek, and if that's the Star Trek I'm getting in a week, I'm going to watch it. It's the only explanation for why they would have Tilly leave, because Tilly is such a beloved character. Everybody loves her. She's my favorite character. No, unless she was like, you know, unless she's gotten offers to do some big movie or something and she's pulling a Sarah Connor, then I really cannot see why they would pull her unless they have that plan to have her. They didn't pull her. She pulled her. Pulling a Sarah Connor. No, actually, Mary Wiseman stepped back. and and, And the sad thing is, is that she admitted in one of the interviews that I read that it was because of the body shaming she was taking and no, that, no, no. yeah it's absolutely oh my true. god that makes me hate that makes me hate the toxic fans even more yeah those um, bastards she's only admitted it once or twice and then i think she kind of walked it back like that i don't think she wanted to talk about it so much because i only saw one interview where she talked about it and then she's been much more positive in the last couple interviews but it seems to me that she wanted less to do this season and 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 um i think i do think though that she was excited to come back and i do think this whole new starfleet academy thing is that i think maybe she realized that she liked doing it or that she missed it so and then i think the idea of star trek rewarding her and saying f those people we're going to give you your whole whole show makes me want to support her more (laughs) Because I do like Tilly as a character. I like that she kind of says all the, the things, the nerdy things that we would say like, oh my God, this is totally insane that I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. That's one of the things I like about Tilly. I hate the toxic fans. I hate that this is this is maybe a possibility of what happened. And I don't know for sure, but the, these are the rumors that I was hearing. And Well, I'm th- hoping that it's because she gets her own show, because that would make me very happy. Well, yeah. she was doing plays during this time, and she was being productive. And and as far yeah. as I just want to put it out there, just me, myself, and my one voice that I can have, that Mary Wiseman is awesome. I love Tilly. She's a great character. Fuck the haters. Um, I, you know, like... 
Idik is a whole big part of Star Trek, and if you don't get it, then fuck off. Watch something else. Oh, no. Yeah. So, I just want to put that out there. And, by the way, um, I just want to say that the Discovery cast has all been great at being ambassadors for Star Trek. And one of the things that's great, one thing that Star Trek seems to have always done well, and I know Will Wheaton makes a big deal about this in the writing room all the time, but, like, like all these Star Trek shows, for the most part, the cast become families, yeah, their own right. And Discovery, in particular, you can tell they they really like each other, and they've been great ambassadors for the fans. And um, you know, but if you look at all the shows, there are certain people, and even on Voyager, which maybe less so, but like look at how Garrett Wang and and um, the guy who plays Tom Paris, I'm brain farting his name, Robert Duncan McNeil, like they're doing that podcast, revisiting the show. And, you yeah. know, like all the shows, uh, Robert Picardo has been a great fan, yeah. fan favorite. And so like all the shows like have certain ambassadors and what I think Discovery has been doing great, the, the Discovery representation at the Star Trek cruise. I didn't go to the Star Trek cruise. I have friends that did. But I so I saw lots of pictures of like how much the Discovery cast was like at that cruise and all a part of it, and um, you know, and just like you know, that was great. So, anyways, um, sorry, I my internet just went crazy for a second. Um, speaking of that, there was an episode where everyone hid in the pattern buffer, um, and I actually really liked that episode, and I thought Burnham's moment with Zara where she was piloting the ship alone. By the way, Jonathan Franks directed that episode. Um, outside of the scene where they were all walking to the pattern buffer in slow motion, I don't know what Franks was doing there. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, it was a really great episode, and I love that scene where Burnham potentially was going to go down with the ship. And uh, so I thought that was a great thing. That was a great episode. I don't know if anybody has any comments on that one, but um, that was one up there. So, but I think we should talk about Zara, like, and because that was a huge part of the season two was the whole trial for her sentience, um, and like what it means that Star Trek, that the ship in a Star Trek show is basically alive now. If we consider Data to be alive and have have rights like discovery is getting really close to that as a ship you know and discovery had a moment with zara saying i'm not taking you there that is too dangerous (laughs) and that became a plot point and i loved that episode i thought that was a good updating on measure of a man and the classic one and tony you're in the dark now there you go okay (laughs) sorry yeah um but I, I love that episode. Thoughts on that episode, starting with Issa? Yeah, I thought that was a really good episode, too. Um, they've sort of... It, it's interesting, because they... I'd actually forgotten about the whole sphere data thing. You know, <laughs> like, that's sort of something they whip out every once in a while. Um, and it's kind of a cool... You know, it's kind of cool. I, I think they... I'm curious to see where they go with this. Um, it's interesting, because the computer... They sort of always talk to the computer, you know? So it's sort of it's a new interesting thing that now they've got the sentient computer, you know? Um, so we'll see where it goes. I, I haven't been, I wouldn't say they've done anything super interesting with it yet. I want, I'm curious to see where it goes. 
Did you see the short trek where Discovery was alive? Calypso. Calypso, I did, yeah. Did not, I have not seen any of the short treks, actually. Okay. Oh, they, so, those short treks are amazing. Okay, oh I will I will watch them immediately. <laughs> and Calypso is probably the best one. And okay, it, adds, will, it adds a serious wrinkle to the Zara storyline. So It does. I, I'm okay. very curious where they're... Because, they're... But, yeah... Calypso I feel like changes that, everything. that short trek came after, right after season one. So they've been planning this for a long time. I have yeah. so much respect for that. And um, that makes me think that that we're not going to get an answer to what happened in Calypso in the short trek until the final season of Discovery. I honestly believe. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. Well, clearly, I am missing out on some stuff, and I'll have to catch up. <laughs> you are. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and the short trek with um, with Mud is incredible too. Yeah, <laughs> incredible with Harry Mud. Yeah. Um, speaking of that Zara episode, um, that was one of the few really good episodes for Gray this season, um, and they kind of kind of wrote Gray out of the show. Um, although I thought Gray was a a fine character, just um, I just think I think it was too many characters, like you were saying. And so they wanted to kind of solve that story. So it's kind of funny that they gave her a Picard golem body, which is my least favorite thing about Picard season one is the golem body. But um, but uh, giving Grey a corporeal form. Um, but I did think Grey had that great moment with Zara where she taught her the Trill-like game. Um, was, a, was a great moment. And, um, and it almost made up for the scene where, where Grey and um Adira, which was my least favorite scene in the whole season when they broke into the meeting that they had, had absolutely no right to be in saying we want to represent zara and like i get it what they were doing but i just i did not like that scene um because i was like this is a very important meeting and you're an ensign and you're not even in the crew and so there's a long there's a long history of that though i feel on star trek you know okay <laughs> okay I feel well, like it was like, just a long history. I didn't say I was going to stop watching the show like some people. So, like, I <laughs> young people are going to be impulsive. I find it very realistic. Yeah. Okay. There they you go. They should have kept Gray around to uh, help them negotiate with the 10C. And that was a missed opportunity because I felt like, I don't know, just some of the trill abilities. It's like with a uh, book and his Quajon empathy ability which you see, like, what, twice in the whole series that he's been in, I can't believe they didn't utilize that and have him be a medium of some sort to help them communicate with the 10C at the well, end. They, now, they if that had happened, that would have, that would have uh, you know, made Book's defense, you know, actions a lot more defensible in my eyes, but they just, it's like they gave him this ability and never let him use it at all, except for, some little fancy special effect at the end. I just couldn't believe they did that. But remember, this book was on the book was on the we're gonna destroy the ten C uh, bandwagon. But yeah. and they did use the Vulcan president to telepathically communicate. Yeah, and I, I and I like that much yeah. better than than the android and Picard suddenly knowing how to mind meld. Which I know you've defended Sarah, but um, but. That I had more of a problem with, but I, I did love the the president of Navarre, and we'll get to the president of Navarre and Saru's like awesome. <laughs> Definitely need to but, do a short track Rob about totally. them. 
Tony but, raises a really good point, though, that why wouldn't you bring a Betazoid along, you know, or uh, or anyone else who could help you negotiate with the person you couldn't communicate with? That is a good point, you know. Same reason why you can't just, you know, bring the Eagles to Mordor. Like, we don't even know <laughs> if there are any, like, this is, this is one of those things where it's like, hey, how come because you have this thing in this other completely different context, it's like those people who think that you could have saved Tuvix because of Thomas Riker, as if you would just save a previous transporter accident just in case there's another transporter accident so that you can use it to fix the new trans. Like, that's not how this sure. works. I, I understand. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. People who think well, Janeway was wrong she... about Tuvix, I do not understand. That is a debate in Star Trek that I don't understand. And, like, people need to get off Janeway's shit on the Tuvix thing. She did the right thing. It's simple math. Ed. Period. But that's yeah. not really what I'm talking about either. What I'm talking about is the narrative structure. You, you introduce a character with a, with an ability that's never used and never has any use in the story whatsoever. So why even have it? That would have been an opportunity for them to use Book's ability in some way to contribute to the story. That's, yeah, that's my point. It's not the fact that, you know... They I don't know. I feel like they did it at the end, though. They, they did. did. His, like, his forehead started glowing, so... There's a reason why they went from being able to say like five words to book giving a whole fucking speech is because that was the he was using his I, abilities. I, no, I went back and watched it a second time and 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 um, not for any reason other than I'm a nerd. But and then I saw but, but I was specifically watching in that scene and I was like, oh, yeah, his forehead did light up. Which I, I, I really excited. think that was actually really beautiful because he is a trauma survivor and throughout the season he's just shuts down right because of what happened he just completely shuts down and so I feel like what they were saying is that at the end he became healed through this interaction and like you know his forehead came back yeah and he was able to teach <laughs> the 10c about his people mm -hmm. you know which is which was good we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but um thoughts on tarka as as the villain um yeah it, not, they, i love that they i feel like the casting whoever is in charge of casting on discovery is amazing but they also know that we've all seen the expanse and expanse. we've all seen you know um the uh man in the high castle and so they're like oh geez should we bring on an unknown or should we bring on somebody who's already beloved in the science fiction world so that the nerds will just get even more excited and that's what they do and i was was yes, tarka so. in the expanse because i didn't recognize him if he was I didn't recognize oh him. my god yes who, who was he who oh my god okay wait wait i totally didn't recognize him and now and when you said that i started thinking about who he could be and i have no idea yeah i mean i watched okay, the, the expanse and loved it i i love the expanse the expanse was like my yes. one of my favorite new shows the actor is sean doyle and he was one of the UN people who was originally corrupted um, uh, that Avasarala was fighting. You know, Avasarala kind of knew that he was probably dirty and he was in league with the other guy who was sort so of- So was he one of the early seasons? Cause like, yeah. I probably just don't remember that. Yeah, he was in two, the first two seasons okay. of The Expanse. Well, I he think this is a sign I need to go back and start like The Expanse over. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need to start the expanse over again. Is what we're basically coming to. I'm sure. I'm looking. Okay, Aaron, Aaron Senator Aaron Wright. Uh, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I can almost picture it, <laughs> but I don't really remember. Yeah, because so they had I, another man in the High Castle actor in the um, in the the guy on the language team. And by the way, his his the actor's last name is Kurosawa, which is fucking rad that he has the same name <laughs> as the greatest director of all time. Um, so uh, yeah, and that guy was great in uh, Man in the High Castle as well. So you're right, um, they are doing a good job of casting genre actors. But I mean, Star Trek's always done that, like. Yeah across the board like so i have i have thoughts on dark i i thought that he his character was great but i just didn't buy it i was not sold on anything that happened with him pretty much like i thought he had like he was like the magical smarter than everybody guy which was weird because we've already got our magical smarter than everybody guy and like stamets and stuff and it was cute when they met and they tried to out genius each other and stuff but i just felt like it was like all the scientists of the, you know, I understand that it's like a pretty common plot device to have like the one genius who sees what no one else can see and can quickly solve problems. Um, you know, like it's like the Stargate phenomena, you know, where like all our experts have been trying to decipher these signal, these uh, symbols. And then one guy walks in and is like, oh, this does this. And here's how we do this, you know, um, for those of you who remember Stargate. Um, but, you know, and so I appreciate that sometimes you need that in a science fiction story, but it was just like, he was so smart and able to do all these things, but what he was trying to do made no sense. And a smart person would have realized that. And I, it just didn't work for me. Well, but see, that's, that was the desperation of, of, and that's why it was good that they did it in a flashback and they showed that. No, no, but. but, and And I think it was important that he betrayed the guy that he was trying to get back to and I also liked that they didn't exactly make it a romance but they made yeah. it they made it like they needed each other and they No, I was sold that he had a friend or whatever and he was trying to get back to that person but what didn't make any sense is if they if that transportation if the transporter the interdimensional transporter or whatever had worked then it worked on much less power it worked off like a warp core and whatever else the guy had improvised on that prison planet why can't he just get like two warp cores and make it work? <laughs> exactly. have to use the well but see, see here's the thing that you've never heard of before that made no here, sense here's the thing that i really like about this is that i don't think that guy transported out of there i don't think I so think, either i think he just yeah, died i think he just died and tarka has convinced himself that and so I don't think a two warp cores would have done it. I think he just he was so desperate to try and find a solution that he was going to follow madness wherever it lay. But it was, was just like, go for it. And so that's what I liked about that character, and that's what I thought was nuanced and, and, and great about it. But you know, but it's like if he just needs a power source, there's got to be another way to get a power source. Like he could have done that. A million other ways, right? Like not like wait for the 10C to show up with the DMA and then now you finally have a way to power your thing. It just I, I didn't think I wasn't sold on that at all. And and then he like became friends with Book along the way. And now he has to like screw over his new friend to go try to get to have a crazy small chance to reach his old friend. And I was just like, this makes no sense. Just be friends with Book. You know, like you have he's, he's he's obsessed, and and I like it because you know he's very like he's obviously a very selfish person, right? He knows that he knows that because he betrayed his original friend, whose name I'm not remembering, Oros, I think. 
Um, yeah. He knows that, you know, he knows that he's kind of a bad guy and that he's a selfish guy and that he's smart, but that that really hasn't given him fulfillment, right? And having yeah. this family for the first time is the only thing in his life that ever did. And I love the fact that, you know, yes, he shows up as this, you know, super smart guy, but is, I think, one of the things that they were saying, right? Because they were like, here's this smart guy. Everybody trusts him because he's smart. He sort of seduces Vance, you know, but he has ulterior motives. And, yeah. you know, you get that creepy sense from him. And I was actually questioning early on, I was like, do I get the creepy sense from him because they're doing this or because I know that he was a bad guy in the expanse? <laughs> so it's just like, I couldn't tell. But yeah. you, know, you well, definitely sense that something else was there. Yeah, and so I really sure. like the fact that they treated him as a mystery almost the entire time rather than yeah, being like a Wrath of Khan character who's like a very two-dimensional villain. He just needed He just needed a better plot. I mean, just like he his, the I want to use an interdimensional transporter to get back to someone that I lost was not, and, and somehow that ties into the DMA, it did not work for me. Like that was just too random. Like if like- uh, It worked for me, but, and I do love that Reno had the scene where she was like- She's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. not gonna get to the, and you know that she's vegan, right, Issa? I, yeah. I do, I, I, I even had the pleasure of meeting her once at a Weird Al Yankovic event. <laughs> That's like the nerdiest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah um, oh god <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i have somebody mutual she has mutual friends with one of someone i know and i've been told that she is totally amazing person to be around in real life too so believe it yeah and um her but her telling um tarka at the end like it's not really them no matter how much you try to convince yourself was great. That was one of the best. And I love that they gave Tignataro like one of the, the best, you know, even though her character makes no like in world sense because she's not there half the time because Tignataro doesn't want to commit to a whole season of doing totally. the show. Totally it, worth it though. But it's totally worth it. He's and like the diamond of the show, you know? You know what they need to do is they need to write her just random scenes so they can just plug her in so she can just film random scenes that they can plug in throughout there just to, just to, for continuity. I'm just suggesting that there she anyone... could be the Kramer of Star Trek Discovery. She could just like walk into a scene where some shit's going down and like wink at somebody and be weird and we would yeah. all eat it up. Yeah. Well, and it's fine because you know, I think we're all, you know, Issa and I are old enough at least to remember like that 80s TV shows how, had to do how shit. How old are you? I, I just turned 48 yesterday, so. I just okay. I just turned 50 last week, so. All right, I'm, all right. I'm 42. All right, so we're all baby. old enough You're to baby. remember when, <laughs> when TV would like have like a character suddenly disappear for no reason and then reappear and, and the shows would have to say some random thing like, oh, remember because cousin Joe was you know, on the cruise ship this week. Right. And, and our jet, jet Reno is the version of that, but. I mean, she's Guinan. Guinan had the exact same, like sometimes I'm on the show role in, in next generation. She was more believable because she's just running the bar. You don't have to go to yeah. the bar, but sure. if you're trying to solve a problem in engineering and you don't bring jet Reno down, you're an idiot. Right. <laughs> so if they're like, it's okay. Jet has the day off and she's like, Maybe she works, they should say that she works night shift. Like right. she, she's the engineer on call 
in the middle of the night. She likes it that way. She doesn't like people that much, so she just likes to, you know, be a night owl. Maybe she's Sarah. Sarah, that is that is that is the that is the solution. Um, <laughs> genius. <laughs> um, so, one episode I do want to shout out um, was the Casino Planet episode. was was great. The interplay between Book and Burnham in that was so goddamn perfect. Um, because they were adversaries at that time, but See, to me, I just that was like that was like uh, the new movie Khan getting captured so they can have a scene together. Like it's like I understand you want to have your main characters have a scene together, but I thought it was so weird that it's like we're chasing we're at total opposite ends of what we're doing. I and thought it was, it was done like, well. I personally, and I love um, uh, oh god, what's the navigator's name? Um, I'm brain farting her name that went a Wosaku. she was so great in that episode and her and burnham um pulling the um the you know throwing the first two <laughs> games of pool in order to win she's such a badass yeah and that was great and the fact that she would allow herself to lose and get the shit beat out of herself <laughs> in order to 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 scam them was was fucking great that was <laughs> that was great and that was great character depth for that for for one of the characters that you know is mostly on the sidelines now that i think about it maybe i'm just scarred from any uh movie where someone or show where someone goes to a casino planet and ruins everything (laughs) i hate i generally don't like casino (laughs) scenes in movies like i have a rule against liking casino scenes generally unless it's like a james bond movie you know then it works yeah and then um but but the thing about uh that one i did like that it was on i i did like the kind of the location of it and that it was under that kind of fake force field at least no space horses ran through the casino so at least there's that you know (sighs) talk shit on my last jedi you know i love last jedi except for that part (laughs) (laughs) all right so um but unless anyone has anything else to say about that episode um let's talk about I would like to add that I also loved the interaction between Book and Burnham. And I think that one of the things they did this season with them, just like they did with um, President, um, Lady President, Relic. Relic? Relic. Relic? Yeah. (laughs) Just like they did with her and, and Burnham. Also, her and Book have this wonderfully mature romance. Like, and it's one of the things that I love about Discovery that they do so well, that they show adult romantic relationships where it's not about the romantic tension or sexual tension or anything like that. It's about these people genuinely love each other, genuinely understand each other, and here's how they interact. And that is so much more interesting than having, you know, the standard romantic tropes that we all grew up with. And so I love the fact that they have, that they're showing how adult romantic relationships work in a working environment, in an environment where Burnham is his superior and how they deal with that when they disagree, it's just, it makes me very happy. And I do I, want- I'm, I'm sort of the opposite. I, I preferred like the Riker and Troy flirting to, uh, to I, I don't like Book and Burnham actually as a couple. Like I think it, I, I have not enjoyed that part of the show. I like the show better without Book. You're breaking my heart over here. I know, I'm so sorry. I feel, <laughs> I feel terrible. Um, I hate it, I hate it, I hated Riker and Troy. <laughs> Did you like Riker you- and Worf as a couple? <laughs> Riker, Riker and Worf would be great. <laughs> I don't know if you meant to say. I don't think Troy you meant to say that. And yeah. Worf, 
But <laughs> oh wait, I did meant to say Troy. I said Riker. No, oh, that would be great too. <laughs> <laughs> Troy and Worf, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Well, hey, Riker, I don't know. I think Worf be into the bear thing, like with how Riker's going these days. I'm sure Riker slept with everyone. But, yeah. Hey, Riker showed that he did not care about those rules, uh, actually, in one episode. So, yeah, he had a, he had a non-binary romance. Uh, in he did. He did. So, um, all right. Riker's so- definitely pansexual. Yeah, for sure. I, I, so I, maybe it's just me, but I like the whole, you know, friends with your ex kind of dynamic. I thought they did that really well. So, you know, whatever. I book in, in Michael, nothing is ever surprising. It's always super predictable. And, and I don't like that. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Let's talk about the barrier, which will include a little bit of Gary Mitchell and Star Trek Five, yeah. I suppose. Someone, but... someone, give us the history because I honestly couldn't remember. But I was like, "How come no one on Discovery has superpowers now?" You know, like, aren't you supposed to get superpowers if you go through the barrier? Well, here's the thing: um, the barrier has a long. There's a long geographical location because the barrier goes all the way around the galaxy. And so, is it only at the spiral, the edge of the spiral? It's not like around the top and the bottom too. I was wondering. That's the thing is you could go see. I I was thinking about this when they were talking about how like they're spore driving out to the. Um, so the thing is, this is the third third time that they've gone out in Star Trek because there was the Kelvin's episode of the original series, and then there was the Gary Mitchell one, and then. Technically, Star Trek V, wasn't that the center of the galaxy? I thought it was yeah. the edge. Oh, it was the center? It was oh, the center, yeah. Okay. Which shows a very, like, Milky Way-centric, like, you know, that, like, they would ever think that God would be at the center of our lone galaxy, you know? But whatever. Um, <laughs> so, that's Star Trek V sucking. So, um, sorry, Tony. I'm just never going to accept that Star Trek I haven't seen Star Trek I don't, that, I don't like that part of you. Yeah. It's, I, I can remember Star Trek V, because Star Trek V was the first time, because I like Star Trek Three, and a lot of people don't, but I like Star Trek Three. And so Star Trek V was the first time I had the experience of sitting in a theater for a Star Trek movie and being like, what am I watching throughout the entire thing? <laughs> and just knowing that it was terrible. And I, I just, I, I have a very distinct memory because my father went with me and my father didn't really like Star Trek, but he would go to the movies because he, he liked Wrath of Khan or whatever. And uh, I remember my dad turning to me at one point during Star Trek V and saying, is this as bad as I think it is? And I was like, yes, it's bad. Um, So anyways, but we're talking about the barrier. Anyways, what I did like about how Discovery handled the barrier is that they made it tough. They made it not an easy thing to do. They had like weird scientific explanations of they basically rode a bubble through it. And that, that I liked that because one of the things I don't like about Star Trek that I think early discovery was starting to do better was I wish Star Trek would be in space more often, you know, like they don't have to be full expanse, like taking everything super serious, but I wish they would remember that they're in space more often. And this, why the barrier? Like, why is there a barrier there? Like, what is, what is the deal? Like, it's, it's like, it just seems so not hard science that I was 
it actually is yeah. it is more hard science because the thing is is that and look i'm not i'm not a physicist but i do know that it's specifically if you leave the solar system there's that there's the entire Oort cloud at the end of our solar system that's like super huge and long and i am a space nerd so i know enough to know that like actually leaving our solar system would be much harder than it's ever been portrayed um no the Oort cloud is is very spread out over a very large area of space it's essentially empty space i mean there's like right so here's the thing about galaxies have certain physical laws and gravity and all those things that are pulling on it so i do think that leaving the galaxy would present issues and i'm not saying they got the science right because i don't really know what it would be like to leave the galaxy but i like that they made it hard so i think it would be like also not a physicist although i really wanted to be one when i was younger but so i think what what it sounds like is being being built a rift on or whatever is how you know the voyager probe past the the limit of the solar system which is where it's called the Helio something, and I've completely forgotten the name. Heliosphere. Heliosphere. There you go. And so that's where the, you know, the pressure coming out from the sun hits particles coming in from other stars, and that's the edge of our solar system, technically, right? Um, so I think they were trying to say some, something similar with the edge of the galaxy, but it would just be less and less stars and then nothing. And then, you know, there, there's no uh, real life analogy to this barrier at the edge of the galaxy. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, the episode where they went to the pattern buffer, there was also where they went to this place with no stars, right? And right. I do think that navigation would have been really affected and it would have been like, you're used to navigating by all the the stars. And I do think they missed a chance to do that. Um, personally, as a, like if I was writing Star Trek, I would have written the shit out of an episode where they were leaving the barrier and it probably wouldn't have been as entertaining for everyone else as it would have been to <laughs> me because it would have been techno babble out the fucking wazoo right. because that's what I wanted from that episode. <laughs> but, um, and, and I would love to write a Star Trek series about a science vessel that stayed a science vessel and no one would like it but me. Um, and maybe I, I would use a, yeah. Uh, but I... Eh. the the barrier thing like i did like that it was difficult i think they would have had trouble navigating i do think that they did a good job of making it like where everyone was like hey whoa we're doing this this is weird the problem is a couple episodes in they stopped talking about it they it should have continued to be weird that they were going and also they went to a planet outside of the outside of the galaxy and so there's there i'm not saying there wouldn't be rogue planets floating between galaxies because there probably are just spit out planets but that should have been something that they talked about in my opinion and they didn't really talk about that and then the fact that the 10c like lived on a gas giant that was between galaxies is interesting and then i just think there's more they could have done with that However, I'm not I'm not saying I'm going to stop watching the series because of it. I'm just saying there's more they could have done with it. Yeah, no, you're allowed to not be hard science. I mean, that's totally yeah. fine. It's just it seemed very usually they tr- usually on Star Trek they at least try a little and this just seemed really different than that. And 
Um, the fact that there are a species that lives outside of our galaxy, we that that's been seen in Star Trek before, a few times. Um, but this is the first one where that it was like they were so different that we didn't know how to understand them. And one thing I really appreciated about the back half of this season was that they were contacting a species that they didn't know anything about, and it was hard. And it took multiple episodes for them to figure out how to do that, and I appreciated the shit out of that. And not everyone would would love that, but I did. Because if they had been able to go bleep, 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 bloop and put on the, you know, the universal translator and talk to them, that would have annoy the shit out of me and the fact that it took three or four episodes for them to contact them is one of the yeah. best things this season did and for me that's pure star trek and as fun as picard has been the first couple episodes and i you see you probably haven't been watching yet have you i haven't seen it yet so okay well and i wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone else out there who hasn't watched it but as fun as the new season of picard is it's a lot of action adventure star trek and to have them coming out on the same day as discovery it's interesting how a lot of fans are like yeah picard it's so awesome i love it and the whole time i'm going but dude are you seeing how cool discovery is right now they're spending three episodes trying to communicate with the species and whereas picard's on this like action adventure storyline with a lot of pew pew and time travel and Leah Thompson directed one of the episodes, which is just mind blowing. Um, you know, that's really cool, but I love that discovery spent three episodes basically remaking arrival, you know, and, and close encounters and close encounters, major close encounters vibes, which is very dear to my heart and made me very happy. So, So a lot of star Trek fans think Picard is cooler right now. I'm enjoying both, but I'll take the last three weeks like I was way more excited about the new episodes of discovery because um, I just felt like that was pure star Trek. I'm having fun watching Picard. I mean, I I like the Picard. I mean, the first season and stuff, and I I don't mind a little action thrown in, but I would be perfectly happy with star Trek. If like they never had any action, like I would be, I'm completely in the camp where you need zero action. You know, like it's you not gotta so fight fun. a Gorn every once in a while, dude. Yeah, right? okay. sure. You gotta, gotta fight a Gorn every punch. once in a while. You gotta throw in a couple two-handed punches. I understand, but it's yeah. always better with lizards. I gotta say, <laughs> but every once in a while, I. But but at the same time, like you said, I yeah, the action is you know yeah. I'll take Star Wars if, for for my action if I need to, you know, and especially. You know, coming in May, we're going to have great or hope potentially great new series from both franchises at the same time. And it's like, give me my action in Star Wars. I'm always going to want that. But with Star Trek, give me a cerebral storyline and give me a story about contact, first contact being hard. I'll take that. I love that. I love yeah. it. But most of the action on Discovery hasn't been very good. Also, like I would say, like it's a lot of like ships chasing ships and and you know, like uh, you know, the rear what was the, what's the name of the button on the bookshelf? The, the Presto changer. Changer button. It's a lot of that and it's just kind of boring <laughs> to me. But I, I like, you know, there there have been Star Trek episodes where there've been good good space battles, but for the most part I like the intellectual stuff more than the pew pew. All right, Tony, I got to draft you here now. 
This is where you're going to have to really explain yourself. Oh. <laughs> because when the finale happened, you went right to Facebook and mm-hmm. posted that you felt like the stakes were really low at the end of the season and you weren't sure you were returning to Discovery in season five. Right after the finale. Now, give us your thoughts on this. Because, like, I really loved these last couple episodes. So, when you wrote, I was just, like, literally, I had the reaction. I was looking at my phone and I saw this post from Tony Peak, And I said to myself, before I even typed anything, gosh, did Tony watch the same episode I did? <laughs> because I respect your opinion. I read your opinion on Star Trek every week, and I usually agree with you, but by golly, I did not this time. So tell me, why didn't you like this finale? Well, I, I'll start by saying I really like the first contact thing like you did. That's, I love that. I love they took the time with that. I guess for me, the reason it just kept going downhill is, like I said before, you know, the lack of consequences. I'm going to stick with that one, I know. The fake deaths really annoyed me. Um, I feel like the season had you know underutilized characters. Like nobody said anything about you know, man. She came back for one episode to make sure Burnham didn't do anything you know out of line, and then she's out of the season. It's like why even bring her back for that? It just I don't know. It something about it just felt off to me, and it just it was predictable. I could see by episode three or four where this was going. I knew exactly what was going to happen, and it's almost played out exactly. I'm not kidding. I'm not a you know an expert storyteller. I can predict everything that's going to happen, but that was just so. It was by the numbers. I could have made a bulleted checklist of that, and it all happened that way. And I was just like, and but but in not a good way. I was it just I don't know. I you saw it all coming down to a species that we couldn't communicate with or because I didn't see that come in. I, I, I actually thought we were heading towards another like creature. We were going to be at war with like the dominion. Like that's what I actually thought they were building towards was like an extra galactic threat that was going to become the new, like that's that. I honestly thought that they were building towards that. No, I never saw that. I, I always figured it would be something benign or, you know, benevolent or, See, I didn't think they would do that two seasons in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, but see, that's in the spirit of Discovery altogether. I, I love Discovery. I love its positive outlook for the future because this world sure as hell needs that right now. But Discovery does it in such a way, especially over seasons three and four, that just sucks the tension out of the storytelling, for me anyway. And season I, I, four I was really that. bad about it. I, I it feel just, like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It, it lacks teeth. It's, I mean, I, and when I say that, I don't want to see characters die or pay the ultimate price or see a bunch of, you know, starship porn, you know, shooting each other. But it just felt so predictable and so, man, I hate to say that because I love Star Trek. And I've, I've defended Discovery for years, you know, people who, oh, this isn't Trek. And I'm like, you're nuts. This is, this, and I will still say Discovery is very much Trek. But I was just so disappointed in that. I feel like they could have done a lot better job. In 13 episodes, they could have summed it up in 8 or 10. There's a lot of bloat in the season, you know, storytelling-wise, they didn't need. And then splitting the season up, you know, returning after what was it, a few weeks, I didn't – that really sucked the momentum out of it. Yeah. 
it's 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 a it's a variety of reasons. I just you know they can do better than that, and I hope they do. I will say right now, if they put out a preview for season five and it really catches my attention, I'll give it a, a, a shot. But if I oh, you're watching, Tony. Yeah, Come we on. all know you're, you're watching. Horrible. You've been a Star Trek fan your whole life. You're you going to be watching. See what they're gonna do? You say <laughs> that, but I'm going to see your posts every Thursday morning, telling me you're going to watch it. I, I, will, know. I will say, I will say this: that almost every season of Discovery, I've just sort of had to like trust the writers not think about it too much and see where it goes like the first season started out okay i really liked the lorca turn like the that he was the mirror universe lorca like that was fantastic i didn't see that coming some people say they saw that coming i didn't see it coming um you know and then uh i liked the uh the second season with the suit the red suit thing and the time travel stuff that was cool that was a nice reveal when it all came together. I love season two. I yeah, love it was really good. season two. Um, I, I feel like if this season had ended, if if during the break, during that like two month Christmas break or whatever, if they'd said we've canceled Discovery and we're not going to ever show the next, the second part of the season, I would have been like, I wouldn't have cared at all. Like, it's so <laughs> boring that I would just, I mean, yes, I would have been sad, whatever. But I, what I mean is that like, I wouldn't be, there are TV shows where, you know, back in the day, there were, there were TV shows where like you would, the, the final episode would get like preempted by a presidential speech or something. And you didn't have a DVR, you didn't have a VCR, there was nothing. You were just never going to see it. And there, there's a, there's a sitcom from like the early eighties that started, <laughs> so I'm getting so off topic. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> where, where uh, it was a young, uh, I'm not even going to go. I'm going to, let me back up. Sorry. But there was an episode of a TV show that I haven't seen that I never saw the final episode. And like, now I found it on YouTube like 40 years later and I'm still really excited about it. It's your move starring Jason Bateman. Anyway, whatever. um, It's your move is the one that you've died for 40 years. (laughs) Dude, so the the season finale was, so uh, he and his friend have, have made up this band that is going to that are going to play the school and he's promised all his friends that this band is coming and then he got his friend Eli to pretend to be the members of the band and they were called the Dregs of Humanity and then this it was a that does sound pretty cool I gotta say yeah, it was awesome. and it was a two-parter and they did the first part and then a presidential speech interrupted the last episode and then they just never showed it again like and you couldn't how are you going to watch it right it, was, it wasn't like there was Netflix so I just never saw that and I wondered about it forever my point being, my roundabout point being um, that at the break, I was sort of, I was like, this is really boring. I haven't found this interesting. If I, if Discovery never came back, I'd be okay with it. So well, but then, I do want to say minute, one thing. The writers and they, I liked the ending a lot. To Tony's point about the show not having enough teeth, I will say that one of the things that brian fuller was very adamant about when he was creating discovery long before he quit the show because they didn't let him do anyways brian fuller's original plan was like one of the things he said months before discovery came out that really rattled everyone was he specifically said discovery is going to be like game of thrones you're never going to know who's going to die because space is dangerous and he said that, and in the early seasons, there was a lot... I mean, keep in mind, remember, at the beginning of season two, 
the mansplainer guy, like, that died the minute after he told Michael, like, oh, I'll show you how to do this. And then the asteroid hit him, which is one of the best. Yeah, Sarah, I know you love that scene. But it's uh, directly <laughs> into my veins. <laughs> right. So early in Discovery, they were killing people a lot because that was the Brian Fuller thing. And I think part of the whole, like, we're redoing Discovery to fit Michelle Paradise's vision, you know, Michelle Paradise and Brian Fuller obviously didn't see that the same way. Because I want to say this, though. Uh, the, the, only, I, the only problem I have with that is when your show becomes dependent on maintaining tension by the threat of, of character death like Game of Thrones. And, oh, holy shit, Walking Dead was really terrible about that. When you take that element away... It's like the story suffers. It's like, well, hell, they don't really have much of a story, do they? So I don't want to see Star Trek go that way either because, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, it adds to the excitement, I suppose, but if that's all you have, no. Trek needs to be more than that. So I'm kind of on the middle, in the middle road if you could have some of that excitement along with, you know, utopian progressive values you know, Roddenberry, then that would be great, but not. You need no, to, no, I don't want to say we just we need better stakes. That it's y'all like... are just y'all are just masculinizing the shit out of this because to <laughs> me it is a character drama in space Star Trek that I always wanted growing up because when I was growing, I was I grew up on TNG. I loved it. I watched it six hours a day when I was homeschooled, and it was on the UPN network, and I still had all kinds of things about it that drove me crazy. And I think part of it, I think it honestly helps when you come at it from a different perspective, like being a woman, you see more of the flaws, you see more of the things that they're leaving out. You see a lot of the, the sort of artificial masculinity that they had in TNG where like, not just the captain felt like he couldn't get personal. Like that was his, that his character fine, but everybody on 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 the bridge was like that and it took them eight years to finally come together and have the poker game that star trek discovery was having at the end of the first season and so i want to see that i want to see that you know lack of toxic masculinity in star trek i want it to be about characters i want it to be about so all that stuff that a lot of people think is filler or that a lot of people think is you know, could be taken out of the show. I love it all. Like, I just want to see these characters interact and love each other in space while there's aliens and optimism and humanism and all of that. I'm all for all that, but just every once in a while, if you're going to be in danger, somebody maybe actually be possibly in danger. I don't know. But I just, they have, they have killed yeah. off characters. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else. And that's the thing. Like, one of the things I actually liked that I told my partner at the end of this, in, at the season finale, is I said, I love the fact that they brought two people back without bringing them back. It didn't feel cheated to me because the uh, general, I don't know about that. The tra- the general, I got the general and the transporter lock. That she would, that she would, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole mission, the whole suicide mission was for her to open up a way to make a transporter lock, right? And so obviously it's gonna work both ways that they're gonna be able to do that. Why wouldn't they transport her back at the 11th hour? It wouldn't make sense. If they had her just die, unless the ship actually exploded when she hit it, which could have happened, maybe they didn't know whether that would happen or not. But if she had just died or somebody just left her on the wreck 
somebody at some point would ask, well, why didn't they also beam her back if the whole point was to open up the transporter? So I love the fact that to me, both of those deaths well, was that feel the point? like- I thought the point was just to stop the gravimetric beam. Like they weren't hitting yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, but they also, I believe that they actually said that they hoped that it would open up, uh, because it would disrupt the beam, it would also open up an ability to transport them. Hmm. Wasn't that uh, like remember. the whole part of the plot? I thought it was. Anyway. You, you absolutely might be right there. Just when you say, hey, I'm going on, I'm volunteering for a suicide mission, and then it's not a suicide mission, it kind of cheapens things as a general rule, I think. I don't think it did because I feel like it really was very believable that she felt this genuine regret and she felt like she had to pay a price for that and she paid that price. It's just that she also got to still survive and, you know, because I mean, I, honestly, this is one of those moments where it's also about believable 900 years in the future sure. where it's like you but should be also, able to actually save somebody at the 11th hour also, in an operation. It like also that. cheapened the book thing because it's like now it happened again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like they should have picked one or the other. I actually was hoping yeah. the book would be dead, but you know. Well, I just, I really wish Dit, Ditmer, when, when the general had volunteered, had been like, you're awesome. Thank you. You know, <laughs> would have been great. Um, would have been cool. Um, all right, guys, we got to wrap up here soon because uh, we've been going for a long time. Uh, how about we all talk about what we would like to see in season five of, D of Discovery? Hey, David, I've prepared this whole spreadsheet. I have to at least talk about it for a second. <laughs> okay. Do, so I'll do it really fast. Okay, really, really fast. So I, like I said, I was trying to figure out what was kind of what I, I couldn't put my finger on what was bothering me about Discovery. And I thought it was too many characters. And so I actually made a list uh, I dove, dove deep on IMDb and made it actually listed out for you and figured out how many episodes of, of the original series and TNG people were in. I didn't bother with the other series. But so the original series, as everybody knows, Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Uhura, Scotty, they were in almost every episode. Sulu was in slightly less episodes and Chekhov was in less than half of the episodes, right? Seven people. The next most repetitive person on the original series, no surprise, Nurse Chapel, who was in 28 episodes. But then after that, the next person was Lieutenant Kyle, the transporter chief, who I have no idea who that is. And I, you know, whatever. So you, you guys know who might Lieutenant know who Kyle is? <laughs> I do not. You do not. Okay. Well, let me just okay. say that George so, Takai was in, not in a lot of episodes because he went off to film the Green Berets with John Wayne. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, regardless, my point is there were seven characters. You got to know them. They were, you know, about almost 80 episodes of the show. You got to know the seven characters. You got to know them well. The Next Generation, uh, Picard, Riker, Geordi, Troy, Data, Worf, and Dr. Crusher, if you include Dr. Pulaski's 20 episodes as Dr. Crusher episodes, whatever, they were basically and all in win science on this, Issa. <laughs> they were all in every episode. Um, the next person, the next highest person was actually Wesley Crusher, who was only in half the episodes, which I would not have realized if I hadn't actually gone through this. And then after that, Chief O'Brien, 50 episodes, and then Tasha Yar and Guinan were both in 29 episodes. So again, you had seven main characters who were in every episode. You, you knew those characters really freaking well. Um, Discovery, the main- Did you though? Did you though? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Commander Riker remained basically the same person that he was in the first episode. He got a beard. Troy 
will remain basically the same episode. They were fill in the blank, blank canvases. They just, You're not wrong. They just wrote new adventures on top of them, but they never actually changed. Only Picard and Data had real character development. Tiny uh, bit of Worf. But not, not nowhere near not, that. But not entire, I don't think you're wrong. You but cling on episode. There, I think there was some there was some character development on, on the characters. I, I wouldn't say they had. You're right. You know, Data had a bigger arc than. Say, don't right. even get me started on Doctor okay. Crusher. Okay. Total blank canvas. I love her. Okay. So, but there were only seven people, and I knew I knew all their names, and it was easy. So, Discovery has uh, two. Well, so this is what I consider the main characters of Discovery, right? There's Michael, Saru, Stamets, Detmer, Tilly, Awoskun, Rice, or Reese, I forget how you pronounce it, Dr. Culver, Bryce, who is a different character, and Nilsson were all in most of the episodes. And that doesn't even cover the people that I think of as main characters on the show, which is Ash Tyler from the, you know, the first, the early days. Lieutenant Linus was in 25 episodes. I don't know who that is. That's the lizard, the lizard guy in the. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Uh, Farts in the, uh, uh, in the turbo lift. Right. (laughs) And then uh, (laughs) Captain Georgiou, who was in 24 episodes, seems like a major character. Book was only in 23 episodes. Adira well, 19. the third season, so. Yeah, well, right. And, and then uh, Adira, 19, Admiral Vance, 17, and Jet Reno, 14. So it's like, it is it is more people. It's, it's not quite double, but it is more people. And they really shook it up halfway through. Like, I didn't really think of it in terms of a reboot, but, you know, that kind of clears up some of the numbers. Yeah, but, but see, you're forgetting that Deep Space Nine had Nog and Garrett. No, no, I, I wasn't forgetting. I just didn't, I didn't go through. I only made my spreadsheet of these three shows because these are my favorite Star Trek shows. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we, anyway, we are. Whatever. I apologize. But okay. so it the is. More it the is merrier, of, motherfucker. Yeah, it is a lot of characters. <laughs> so it does give you less time to get to know them. <laughs> well, look, and Deep Space Nine had that many characters, and they had minor characters who got really great character development. Nog has an entire ship named after him in Discovery. Um, and, you know, like if you had thought at the beginning when Nog was just this bratty little like Ferengi kid that he would eventually lose a limb in war and go through like PTSD and be this sure. major character. Like, no, you wouldn't have seen it coming. And, you know, and Garrick, in my opinion, Garrick is my favorite character in Star Trek ever, ever, ever. Pretty great. Like, I love Garrick as a character. And the fact that Andrew Robinson played the serial killer in the first Dirty Harry movie and was in Hellraiser only adds to it. But <laughs> but it, it, Andrew Robinson wrote an entire Garrick novel like about his character for the Pocket Books line because he had written so many notes. And the true story is, is he had written so many notes about Garrick that somebody said, hey, you should turn this into a Star Trek novel. And he did because he had taken wow. that many notes about his character and it shows on screen and he's a minor character and it's great. I love Garrick, my favorite character. But, and um, anyways, they can do that. All right, really quickly so we can sum this up. And look, we short shirked some things because we didn't get to talk about Saru and, and the romance, which was totally awesome. And yes, they need a short trek that's like basically a rom-com about them going on 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 a date on earth after the um events of season i feel like they should have a date on the holodeck and it should be like uh you know like british victorian period it was straight up like wuthering heights or uh 
you know, or uh, I don't know, whatever. Something That's Janeway's up. holodeck experience, which is very <laughs> Bronte. Totally. All right. Starting with Issa, let's close this up. What do you want from season five of Discovery, which Tony is definitely watching? Um, <laughs> I just want Tony. You can do to it, Tony. That's all. That's all I want. You just need a couple months of break, and then when it comes back, you'll miss it. You know you yeah, will. I, I actually have no. I don't really know where they're going to go. I don't really have a guess, and I don't. I I kind of trust the writers at this point. Like I think it'll probably be a little boring, but it'll also probably be good. And I feel like they did, they did do a good job of introducing, like, for instance, like, just to use Detmer as an example, like, I actually care what happens to her now, whereas previously I was like, who is this person? I barely know her name, you know? So, um, I, you know, Tilly has always been my favorite character on the show, and we didn't get a lot of her this season, so hopefully she either gets her own show or we see more of her next next time. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious to see where it goes. I, I don't really have any... I will definitely be watching it, um, and I I hope it's good. But I, I don't see a direction that they're headed in at all, which is really interesting, kind of, because usually you can kind of tell where a show's going. Uh, Sarah, where do you want season five? Yeah, I every time I'm asked this question, I'm honestly just like, I want to see what happens. I want to see what, what they do with it. I also feel like, you know, like there are, they sometimes they end a season where there's like, a very clear, oh, there's a lot of things that you could see that they could do with what they've set up. And this is the end of something. And so I have absolutely no idea what to expect. And I love that. I love not not knowing what, what the writers are going to do. Uh, before I, Tony, yeah, you should go because I, I have I've put a lot of thought into this is the one that I put a lot of thought into. <laughs> oh, you want my opinion? Yeah, where do you want season five to go? I definitely want to see more out of the, the Saru and Tarina romance. Uh, but as far as where I want it to go, I would like to see the Federation do more Federation things. Like, and you see some of that in season four, and that's cool. But what can the Federation offer other people other than just, you know, what we've already seen? I would like to see something more of a, you know, a galactic civilization besides just, you know, the occasional starship a little bit of a planet, but you know, what form that could take, they could go anywhere with that. Because really, after you've saved technically the galaxy from the 10 C, how do you top that storytelling wise? So it's gonna have to be something, you know, maybe maybe more personal, maybe not well, the stakes aren't so large in terms of the galaxy, but more personal stakes. So something like that. Yeah, so I've thought a lot about this, and I want season five to be about the rebuilding of the Federation, and I, I, I want Discovery to kind of be like the go-to shit. Like the way I would pitch it, if they came to me and said, "David, you're the new showrunner of Discovery," um, I would pitch it as House of Cards meets Star Trek, and I would want it to be about a political crisis that happens in the Federation and week to week it's different things and Discovery like Vance and the President basically put it on Discovery to be the flagship of building this new Federation and the reason why Discovery is is because they're a unique ship with Zara and with the Spore Drive and which they're going to need to rebuild obviously um, and 
Um, that way it would be a different thing every week. And one thing I would, they have left, they have not mentioned the Klingons once. And I have a feeling that there's a reason why they have not mentioned the Klingons once. And maybe that's what they're planning. Yes. And I think part of the, one of the reasons why it would be interesting and the Klingons would be a great example for this because it would make sense in universe. What if one of these technological societies, and it could be the Cardassians because you know, you could do it with, I would want to take one of these existing species and do something really interesting with imagining like one of these species falling into a dark age and that they're, they've lost technology. They're not in contact and it becomes a political issue where like, is it breaking um, the prime directive to go bakes basically to these worlds and say like, Hey, come back to the galactic society or are you interfering with them falling back to barbarism or whatever? And that would be an interesting thing because the Klingons and Cardassians know about the rest of the universe. Their species would know about it. But what if one of these, wouldn't it be interesting if like these former military militaristic species had made the decision being out in the universe was not good for our species and we are turning away from the stars and wouldn't it be interesting if the Federation like thought that they were br- bringing something positive to these species, but in reality, they're challenging them in a way that isn't. That's what I would do. But, you know, because you have a unique opportunity where you have a franchise where you can take these existing species that exist and put them 900 years in the future and have like and say, like, what's the gap? Because, yeah, we've seen Cardassians. But we don't really know what happened to Cardassia. And actually, Bajor would be an interesting planet to do that. What if Bajor just said, you know what? You know, we're good. You know, we're waiting for the Cisco to show back up. And, um, of course, well, I yeah, there's going to be DS9 connections in Picard, <laughs> obviously. And we know that. Um, sorry, Isa. That's not a huge spoiler because it was in the trailer. Yeah. Um but, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see one of these species just reject technology and go back and then have the Federation kind of think high and mighty of themselves. And that's what I would like to see them do, because I think it's a unique opportunity with this 900 year gap. Anyways, that's what I'd like to see in Discovery Season 5. So I think next time we have a panel, um, I'm going to be switching it up again, adding another fourth crew member um, here. Um, I have plans for somebody who's very specific for Picard. So we'll be back for after um, season two of Star Trek Picard Um, uh, doing another episode here. But for now, Discovery season four, ups and downs, pluses and minuses overall. I liked it and I really liked how it ended. So um, let's go around and tell everybody how they can get in touch with you if they want to or if you want them to. Maybe you don't. Uh, Isa hides a lot on the internet. Um, yeah, yeah, invisible. Yeah. Um, Isa, tell folks where they can find your band or your movie because they, they uh, would want to find uh, If you really want to see a bad movie that you will not understand and it's hours of in jokes that you won't get, then you could check it out on YouTube, the Good Clean Fun movie. I don't recommend doing that if unless you're like a <laughs> punk rock kid who likes 80s hardcore. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, uh, pretty much aside from that, I, I 
spend my day, my day job. Uh, I have a business called Outvoice, which is kind of exciting. If you're a content creator and you need a way to pay your freelancers, come check us out. Um, and uh, that's about it. Oh, and your band was awesome. Good, clean, fun. So, <laughs> and uh, several records out there. Um, and uh, College is one of my favorite uh, Good, Clean, Fun songs. Um, well, vegan, Straight Edge, Hardcore for people who... Oh, and You're Only Punk <laughs> Once is a great song. You're Only Thanks. Punk Once was great. Um, and uh, Sarah, where can folks find you? Uh, I, I, I am on most of the social media channels, regretfully. Uh, I spend about five minutes every three days on Twitter. So my Twitter is like tumbleweed, so I wouldn't recommend that. Most of my followers are on Facebook. So it's facebook.com slash Michener, M-I-C-H-E-N-E-R. And you, you'll you find um, Sarah on uh, lurking on many Star Trek Facebook groups like Star Trek shitposting and- uh, It's compulsive. Yeah, and uh, Star Trek- uh, or, <laughs> What's the one that's has a great name? Uh, Star Trek things. Star Trek fans are upset about that they made up themselves or whatever. What's the yes. name of that group? That's a really yes. funny one. It's it started out as a tag group. It's things things Star Trek fans made up them, themselves that they're upset about or something. I don't. <laughs> I, I feel terrible for not knowing the full thing. But ever since they made me an admin, it doesn't show up in my feed, and I feel really bad about that. I have to talk to to my friend about that. Anyway, there are great tag groups on Facebook where we make fun of toxic fans and it's the only way to deal with it psychologically because otherwise it's really depressing. And Tony posts about everything he watches and reads too. So he's a fun follow on Facebook and Twitter. So Tony, tell folks where you are. Well, Facebook and Twitter and I, you know, like David said, I talk about, you know, films, books, comics, anime, games, anything that catches my interest. I have a website, TonyPeak.net. Check that out. I have, you know, links to my books and things like that. I had a Patreon, but it's on indefinite highs at the moment. You know, it's hard creating content for that and writing other books. I have, you know, the Athon trilogy. I have another trilogy coming up from Athon, hopefully this fall. It's a space opera trilogy, more in the vein of the expanse. It's, you know, more like that, not, not Star Wars, more more greedy, hardcore sci-fi in that thing. That but yeah, it's that's where you can find me is Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and and Tony is right on it. He posts about whatever episode of Star Trek comes out on Thursday mornings. So this this these uh last because I watch whatever Star Trek comes out on Thursday morning before I go to work. In these last three weeks, when um, I could only watch one of the two that came out before I went to work, I had to not read anything Tony posted so he wouldn't spoil. Oh the other star trek for me so i specifically was like don't look at tony's post don't look at tony's post because <laughs> i knew you would talk about it because as much as you complain i knew you you would be there talking about it it's, so. it's a love-hate relationship <laughs> all right trek nerds we'll see you guys after uh season two of picard um and uh uh it was great talking to you guys i always love nerding out about star trek um and great discussion um i loved season four and i'm sorry we didn't talk more about saru and uh his vulcan romance that was that was good stuff so uh thanks for joining me and uh yeah we'll talk to you soon <laughs>